I am very encouraged this morning being with my church family and being with God's people and singing about a Savior uh, that rescues us from darkness. And he has placed us in a kingdom of, uh, to, to be with him and to serve him and to love him. I look forward to sharing God's word today from Romans chapter 10. Uh, if you were here last week, you noticed that... Uh, uh, we kind of skipped chapter 9, that's because I started handling that on Sunday night last week. We're going to look at Romans chapter 10 today, and I'm going to start a new series, and it's entitled Missional Living. Uh, I guess this is kind of a catch-all series. I wasn't really sure what to call the latter parts of Romans uh, and how to, uh, how to, I guess, how to, how to pull it together in one cohesive idea. And so I just came up with kind of a generic title, although I do see a lot of these verses that we're going to be looking at uh, really tell us how we're, to, how we're to live out our Christian life and how we're to live out our Christian faith. We're going to look at some practical applications of how to live out the gospel. I guess I just could have called this series The Last Chapters of Romans, um, but I just uh, thought well, I'd try to come up with something uh, that maybe would kind of capture the essence of all of it. Some topics that we're going to look at that I think that are going to be of interest to you. Uh, we're going to talk about worship and what worship means, what it is. Uh, we're going to have a, a sermon on spiritual gifts. I find that this tends to be of interest to a lot of people who are wanting to discover what God has called them to do and how God has called them to serve. There's going to be one sermon where we're going to talk about how to interact with government uh, uh, authority. That's going to be an interesting sermon, as the Bible tells us to submit to governing authorities. How do, we, how do we carry that out in our everyday application of our faith? There's going to be one sermon, we're going to talk about what it means to be judgmental towards other people, and how the Bible tells us not to do that. We're going to talk about stumbling blocks, what stumbling blocks are, and how we're not supposed to do things that are to be a stumbling block to others. As you can see, these are going to be some things that are going to be pretty practical, uh, some things that I think that are going to be very relevant to how we live our life in a missional way in this world. Now these middle chapters of Romans, Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11, are really about God's plan of redemption for ethnic Israel. I've chosen for the most part not to present those sermons on Sunday morning as I've been moving through these chapters on Sunday night. However, there are these verses that we're going to read today and another uh, set of verses in Romans chapter 10 that we're going to read next week that I, that I think, in, in my opinion, really kind of form the core of, of the book. And these are some often quoted verses that I use a lot, uh, one that you heard Pastor Andy quote already this morning, uh, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I want to talk to you about that today. Uh, this sermon today is entitled, Word of Faith. Now please don't confuse that with the Word of Faith movement. Uh, I will not go into detail about what 
the heretical word of faith movement is, but just please know, you can go look that up on your own. Please know that I'm not talking about that today. What we're, I'm going to be talking about today from Romans chapter 10 is true faith that results in salvation. And what does that look like? True faith that results in salvation. And so I want to invite you to stand as, uh, as we read these words from Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to look at verses 1 through verses 13, and you'll see what I mean that Romans 9, 10, and 11 are a lot about ethnic Israel as we look at uh, first five ver verses, but then as we get into verses 5 through verses 13, you'll see where the Apostle Paul talks about faith, and this is applicable to all of us. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them, meaning the Jews, ethnic Israel, for them that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, but what does it say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord Jesus, today, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, the simple reading of your word can almost suffice as the preaching of your word. God, as we read it and we, as we see the truths in there, God, we relish them, we cherish them. And I pray that today, Lord, I pray two things. I pray, Lord, that those of us who have believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth and who have called upon your name, I pray, God, that we would just continue to celebrate the salvation that you have given to us, just like these songs that we've sung today. But I pray, Lord, that if there be people today that have never had a word of faith, or they've never had genuine faith, they've never confessed you, they've never called upon your name, I pray, Lord, that you would show them today, you would open their hearts, open their minds to receive your truth. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Okay, so like I said in my introduction, um, verse, chapters 9, chapters 10, chapters 11 are a lot about ethnic Israel. That's why we see this language at the beginning where the Apostle Paul, he states what he prays for his people. You, 
you probably pray the same thing for your people, right? That people would be saved. You may pray the same thing for your, uh, your people who are your relatives or uh, your people maybe who are your friends or maybe you pray this for our nation. I hope you do. I hope that you pray this for, for all people. Everyone needs these prayers. People who are not saved, they need us to pray that they, that they be saved. There are two fallacies about being saved that I want to talk about today and you're going to see them kind of you're going to see them kind of come out naturally from the text two fallacies that I see that whenever we talk about salvation whenever we think about salvation that I think are worthy of mentioning uh, number 1 one of the fallacies that we often see and is just redundantly condemned in scripture is this moral religious performance based salvation like I somehow have to perform in order to be saved I have to do something in order to be saved and of course we know that we have to repent and believe and confess but oftentimes this performance based salvation means that I have to start cleaning up my life I have to become religious I have to become moral I have to do all of the right things and as a result of doing all of those right things God saves me we're gonna see this clearly and redundantly condemned in Scripture but also here today in this text that's the first fallacy that we see often and usually you can go up to someone and you can say if you went to heaven if you if you died today and you were standing before God and the Lord asked you why should I let you into heaven what would you say and a lot of people will say one of two things they will say well uh, I tried real hard that's the first fallacy or they'll give the second answer which I just call easy believism they will say well I believe in you I, I just well I mean I, I, I believed in you um, that's the second fallacy that I often see that is taught, that is preached, and that is believed is just this easy believism, uh, what Diedrich Bonhoeffer called uh, cheap grace. And it's, it goes something like this. Just say a prayer and you're saved. Just, just say a prayer and, 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 and everything is going to be okay. It doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter if God's really at work in your life. It really doesn't matter. You just, just say a prayer, and it's just easy. And it doesn't matter if anything changes. It doesn't matter if there's repentance or confession. You just, you just say a prayer. So those two fallacies, this moral, religious, performance-based salvation, and this easy believism, just say a prayer kind of salvation, I, th I, think, that, I think that we can see that true salvation is a little bit different. First, I want to talk about this law-based, performance-based salvation, this performance trap that we tend to get caught up in. And um, no matter how many times the Bible repeats it, it seems like this is a common pitfall that we have a tendency to fall into, and especially people who don't fully understand the gospel, that have a tendency to fall into this performance trap. Um, and the Bible redundantly condemns it uh, all the time. And here's the problem that I want to point out today. This, this high level of performance that, we're, that, that we sometimes uh, try to press upon ourselves in order to be saved, it requires this high degree of motivation that really is kind of hard to sustain. And we see this in the world, uh, unless you're highly motivated and unless you highly perform, you won't be a top athlete, you won't be a top scholar, 
unfortunately, that doesn't translate over into the spiritual realm. And so the first thing that I want to talk to you about is uh, this this problem that the Jews had that I think that we still see in our day, this religious zeal that they had. They had this religious zeal about them, and it was a performance-based zeal um, that was that lacked knowledge. And this, this really is what caused them to fall into this performance trap. The Bible says um, in these verses, verses 1 through 5, says that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, everybody has zeal about something, right? Uh, some of us are ve- very zealous about sports. Some of us are very zealous about politics. Some of us are very zealous about, say, our favorite hobbies, or our children, or our families, or our marriage. I mean, zeal is okay. Uh, Zeal can be just kind of benign, neither good or bad, like in the case of sports, um, or whatever it might be. Uh, Zeal can also be extremely good whenever you're zealous for a good marriage, right? Uh, Zeal can also be be, be bad whenever it's like this religious zeal which is what the Jews had. Zeal is like this extreme passion accompanied by some type of commitment to action, okay? And from a spiritual perspective, it can also be good or it can be bad. The Bible says Jesus had zeal. Uh, The scripture says, zeal for your house consumes me. The apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, he had zeal. He had a lot of excitement and drive and passion for doing what? for planting churches, for sharing the gospel with people who were of non-Jewish nature, for Gentiles, apostle to the Gentiles is what he was called in Scripture. The Bible tells us to have zeal. Here's one of my favorite verses, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, and we'll, we'll get there whenever I eventually preach through these verses. The Bible says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So the Bible requires this of us. However, Zeal must be grounded in truth. It must be grounded in truth. And this is what the Jews were lacking. Paul himself used to be in this category. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 talks about his religious zeal. It says that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And look what he said. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, how did he carry out his passion and his drive for his religion? He was a persecutor of the church. You see, his zeal left him, led him to do something that was not right. And he said, as a righteousness under the law, blameless. Uh, that's scary when you start calling yourself blameless. You know you might be caught up in a false religious zeal if you start referring to yourself as blameless. And so if we go back to Romans 10, uh, these verses about religious zeal, we'll see some very explicit things that Paul says. He says they have zeal for God, the Jews have zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge because it is based on the law. The last thing that we want to see happen to you or to anyone is for you to start getting really, really excited about performing for God so that you can be made right with God. That's the last thing that we want to see happen in your life. We want to have zeal. 
We want to have excitement, but we don't want to get caught up in the performance trap. I'm going to do better. I'm going to work harder. And when I do, God's going to accept me. I'm going to deal with my sin. I'm going to act religious. I'm going to be moral. And then I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus. That is not how it works. That is the performance trap. That is zeal without knowledge. That is the first fallacy of what salvation looks like. In order to talk about this, I love this next verse. This word of faith that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter, uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 6 through verse 8. He gives two pretty good accomplishments if someone is able to perform them. He said, the righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who can ascend into heaven, bring Christ down, or descend into the abyss, that is, bring Christ up. Those, those are pretty, two pretty big accomplishments. I mean, if you could perform these things, then that's, th those, are, those, those are pretty good. Um, I don't think any of us would agree that we could perform those things. That we should, could somehow, if we needed Christ, if we saw that we were lost, and we needed a relationship with Christ, that we would somehow say to ourselves, in our zeal, and in our excitement, in, our, in, 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 a, in a, a, an effort of performance, we say, I'm going to ascend into heaven, or I'm going to descend into the abyss. Now, here's the interesting thing about these verses. And I hope that from now on, whenever you read this passage, I hope that you'll see this clearly. These verses are a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 through 14. Um, the Apostle Paul is directly quoting Moses. Now, Moses, it seems like what he's telling the people in Deuteronomy chapter 30 is he's saying, hey, listen, you need to follow the law. You need to be zealous for the law. You need to follow it and follow it good. But Paul quotes these verses to say, no, it's not about law. He says it is about having a heart of faith, and it always has been. And we can even see this clearly when we look at, and, and by the way, these verses are quoted from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. But then if you look at the verses right after that in Deuteronomy, verses 15 through verses 18, he says it's about loving the Lord your God, and it's about your heart not turning away. I mean, we see faith, and we see the gospel embedded in these Old Testament passages, and I find it fascinating that uh, in Romans chapter 10, Paul quotes the law to demonstrate that you have to have faith, that it's not about performance, that it's about faith. This is identical to the gospel, where Jesus changes our heart, and we obey out of love, and not perform out of legalism. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus 
is near. He says in Romans 10, he says the word is near you. It's near you. It's not up in heaven for you to go get. It's not somewhere down below for you to go grab. It's not a performance. It's not anything on the outside that you have to go and, and, and perform for yourself. He said that it is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. And then those famous verses about confessing Jesus in chapter 10, verse 9 through 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The Bible tells us that faith, in large measure, is about confession, it's about confessing Christ is Lord. Now, we have to be careful here. We don't want to fall into this second fallacy of easy believism that I mentioned at the beginning, where we just, we just pray a prayer. I think there is a big difference between just, just praying a prayer and praying a prayer of true confession and repentance. Now, as an outsider looking in, maybe, maybe we can't notice a difference. Maybe no one can really truly look and as, as you pray to God as to whether or not it's genuine or not. But you should. You should know whether your prayer is just saying a prayer, easy believism, okay, I'll just do what I have to do to say a prayer and hope God accepts me. Well, that's really no difference than just trying to perform for God. There's a difference between that and a prayer of true confession. You see, a word of faith is confessing Christ as Lord. And it's more than just repeating words. It's more than just repeating words. Confession is when we use our words to speak from the heart. There's a big time difference in that. That's why I believe that the Bible says that we are to confess Jesus and not just pray a prayer. You see, we often talk about praying a prayer. Well, will you, will you, will you pray a prayer to, to receive Jesus? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Now, I often ask you to, do, matter of fact, I ask you to do that every single Sunday. I ask you to pray a prayer confessing Jesus at the end of the service. I say, if you're not saved, would you pray a prayer of uh, you know, confessing? It's not wrong to ask people to pray. But I think that the Bible focuses so strategically on this idea of confession because confession is when we use our words to speak from the heart. You know, it is possible to use words in a false way and to say words that don't really come from the heart. That's not confession. That's not true confession. That's not a word of faith. That's not true faith. True faith has to be so much deeper than that. Jesus talked about the importance of our words and how they represent our hearts. He, he said words are like a fruit. I love these verses from Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through verse 37. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. What's he, what kind of fruit's he talking about? He says, you brood of vipers. He's not talking about us, by the way. He's talking about the Pharisees who preached performance. Um, as a way to be saved. He says, you brood of vipers, 
how can you speak good when you're evil? He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good pressure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, look at this. On the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, which hasn't happened yet, which the Bible says is going to happen at the end of time, and the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And look at this. By your words you will be justified. By your words will be condemned. In some place and in some venue at some time, you have spoken truth to somebody about something. And the same is true about spiritual things. What are those things that you say in your heart to God? Maybe you don't speak them out loud. What, what kind of self-talk goes on inside of you? Is it true confession? Because I believe that God knows what we say in our heart. I believe that he knows what we he knows what we're speaking in our hearts even whenever our words don't match it. Is there true confession? Is it really there and present in your life? You see confession is when truth comes out. Like when you're interrogated or when you're questioned or you're pressed or in that moment when you let your guard down and then the truth comes out. And sometimes you're like, oops, did I just say that? Confession is whenever you truly, from a spiritual perspective, when you truly confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's not a verbal incantation where we give you a prayer and you repeat it and then something spiritual happens in your life because you repeat a prayer that is no different than a fictitious witch's spell. It's got to be something better than that. It's got to arise in your heart. I remember whenever I was a child, I remember walking around my house. We lived in Memphis, Tennessee at the time. We went to Germantown Baptist. I, I remember walking around my house when I was nine years old. I remember the, repeating the sinner's prayer over and over and over and over and over. I'm just repeating over and over and over and over. Because I, I guess when I would heard as a child... I, I had heard a lot of preaching when people say, just repeat this prayer and you'll be saved. And so I was like, well, I got I to gotta keep repeating this prayer because I want to I I stay saved. Well, the next thing I know, uh, some men in suits showed up at my door and uh, it started talking to me about something. And the next thing I know, I was going under the water, right? Um, I think there's something so important about us realizing that it's not about the prayer, it's about the heart of the prayer. It's about the heart of the person who's praying the prayer. Is it true confession? I believe that God was in my God was was definitely at work in my heart whenever I was nine years old. But man, I prayed a prayer of true confession and repentance when I was 18, and God saved me. He radically saved me because that prayer was located not just on my lips. That prayer was located in my heart. And the Bible tells us, it talks about this is the way that we confess Jesus. It says we believe in our heart. Verse 9 through verse 10 says again that we believe in the heart. You see, that's where confession comes from. 
It comes from believing in the heart. And it says it twice. It says, you confess Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes. You notice the Bible says that you don't necessarily believe with your mind. Now, I do believe that you must believe correctly and accurately. I don't think that you can, you can believe in a false gospel and a false God and truly confess in your heart. You, there is a mental aspect to it. But the Bible doesn't say, doesn't say believe in your mind. This is not an intellectual belief. This is why children can be saved. This, this is why someone like James Dobson was saved when he was four. Because something happened in his heart before his mind was, was, was fully capable. And so it's not just intellectual. It arises from something inside of us. And this is why Moses required the people of Israel when he gave the law. He said it's all about the heart. Don't let your heart turn away. And this is why God tells us in the New Testament that God requires us to believe in our heart. And it tells us that when this happens, that we call on Jesus. See, this is where the prayer comes from. This is why we pray. This is how we pray. A true confession in the heart leads to a call on Jesus. That's what the prayer should represent. There's, there's two things in this verse that I just absolutely love about our God who saves. First, it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I hope that you understand by now that it doesn't mean that everyone that just repeats a prayer that we throw out to you, that that's not what that's talking about. But it says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord with true confession from the heart. The Bible says everyone who does that gets saved. Every single person who does that, every single time they get saved. No one is excluded. If your heart truly desires Jesus today, if the Lord is at work in you and you have a heart of confession, and if you have a heart of repentance, and if you call on the name of Jesus, the Bible says that you can be saved. You know, there's a lot of places in Scripture where the Bible says that God calls us. He calls us to salvation. This is one of the few places in Scripture where we see that we are to call on Jesus, that we're to call him. You see, this is a true sinner's prayer. A true sinner's prayer is desperate surrender. A true sinner's prayer is complete and absolute trust. A true sinner's prayer is letting go of everything, giving up on self, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. That's a true sinner's prayer. It is shameless. A true sinner's prayer is bold. A true sinner's prayer is, is, is just infused with angst and a desperate need for God. And this promise says that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the word of faith. Let me show you this passage of scripture and then I'll be finished. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. I love this verse. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. I think that's a pretty important passage. 
Some of your translation says, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. There is something that is exceedingly public about true faith in Christ. There is something that about it that you cannot keep hidden. That, by the way, that's why we do baptism. Bap- baptism is a way that you show, hey, I'm saved, and I want everybody in this world to know it. Baptism is one of these things that we do that is this public confession of faith. That's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons that we do baptism. Is so that people can publicly confess their faith. So that they can say verbally. And we always ask them. You notice whenever we do baptism. We always say. What is your confession of faith? And oftentimes people will say. Jesus is my savior. Or Jesus is my Lord. And it comes straight from this passage. In Romans chapter 10. A true confession of faith. Is something that you can't keep hidden. It's something that you have to tell other people about. It's something that you have to show other people. And I wonder if today you just need to confess. Jesus as your Lord. And maybe you remember the day, maybe you're here and you're like, I just remember the day that I confessed Jesus as my Savior, that I confessed Him as my Lord. I want to give us an opportunity to pray. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And for those of you here today that you know that you're saved and you remember that day, just like for me uh, in 1991, I remember that day that I called on Jesus in true confession And in true faith, maybe you just need to rejoice in that today. And you need to pray a prayer of rejoicing. That's what I want you to do today. I want you to pray a prayer of rejoicing. If you remember the day that you were saved, you remember the time that you called on Jesus, I want you to just pray a prayer of celebration and just pray a prayer of rejoicing. But friend, if you're here today and you know in your heart, you might have said a lot of sinner's prayers But today, maybe you need to pray a a true and real and genuine sinner's prayer. And it needs to arise from your heart, not just your lips. It needs to to arise from a heart of faith deep inside of you. If you want to pray a prayer today, asking Jesus to be Savior and Lord, you can do it in a very simple way, or you can voice a prayer in a very complicated way. Oftentimes, I give you the simple version. Because I know that if, you, if, if it's in your heart, the words really don't matter. If it's in your heart, oftentimes I'll just tell you to pray, Jesus, save me. Maybe you want to pray that right now. You just want to say, Jesus, save me. I can't think of a more simple sinner's prayer. Or maybe you would want to pray something more complicated. Maybe you, want to, you would want to pray and you would want to say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And maybe in your prayer somewhere, you would want to acknowledge all the things that you've done in your life and all the ways that you have fallen short. And then maybe you would want to pray a prayer of surrender. Something like, Jesus, I give up on myself. Maybe you want to say something like, Lord, I'm tired of trying so hard and failing. I'm tired of being confused. And then maybe in your own words, you would want to express a prayer of faith in Jesus. That he died on the cross for your sins. And that you believe that he rose again on the third day. Maybe you would want to pray a simple prayer in your own words. Just confessing your belief in that. And then just asking him to save you. Say, Jesus, save me. 
I want to be in heaven with you forever. You pray a sinner's prayer with the right heart. And the Bible says that everyone who does that will get saved. Father, I thank you so much that you saved us. I thank you, Lord, that you have set us in families. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought us together as a church family. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us of your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the promise of heaven. And I pray that all of us today would just rejoice in our salvation. And I pray that anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray, God, that today is the day of salvation. Lord, we rejoice in all that you have done. And we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy upon us. And we offer this prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Um, and let's just continue to thank God for what he's done for us and rejoice in our salvation.